NFL Show, part of the Mojo Sports Network. AFL Round 18 is here. Can you believe it? 18 rounds into the year. I am on the Mojo Sports Network. This is the AFL Show, the round preview. I'm joined by Yuri Bilicic. Yuri, how are you today? Yeah, going great. Thank you, Julian. And can't wait for another round, hey? The ramifications, I think we talk about it week in, week out. A massive, to be honest, and there are teams down from 15th. Sydney still have a flicker of hope, but they have to win tonight against the Western Bulldogs and a few other sides that just above them are right in the pecking order. So can't wait to break it all down with you. Absolutely. It is currently Thursday night and we're about 50 minutes away from the Thursday night game starting, which is Sydney Bulldogs, as you were just mentioned. And gee, that's going to be a very tough battle. Not sure how it plays out, but by the time you listen to this episode, the result will be known. So we're going to brush past that game and we're going to get straight into Friday night football, which is Melbourne Demons versus Brisbane Lions at the MCG. Interesting one for Melbourne, which I'll get Yuri to touch on, is Brody Grundy is out of the side and Joel Smith. Jacob Van Royen comes back in. And for Brisbane, Jared Berry is back in with Lincoln McCarthy. Devin Robertson gets omitted, James Madden injured, and Kai Lohman is the sub. Yuri, Melbourne-Brisbane, that's a huge game for a Friday night at the MCG where Brisbane don't have a fantastic record. How does this one play out? Oh, it's going to be an absolutely cracker of a game, I believe, Julian, too. And last year, of course, that semi-final, which Brisbane came back from a 28-point deficit midway think, through the first half and overran Melbourne with that unbelievable leg speed and four territory, which they're so renowned for at Brisbane because they're not a high-disposal team. But what they always look to do is get the ball at all, forward at all costs. And it's something, again, we'll see tomorrow night. And I think the biggest omission, right, and we spoke off air only a couple of minutes ago, is Brody Grundy. And Mitch Cleary, seven years, reported it earlier this morning, I think, as well, that Grundy won't be taking part. So that's a major surprise coming out of the Melbourne lineup for tomorrow night's encounter. And I did mention as well my notes that I wrote early this morning too about the Melbourne bringing back Jacob Van Ruin. And I think it was definitely a must anyway because since mm. round nine when they beat Hawthorne, that was the last time they scored 100 points or more. So I think from round 10 onwards, they've only averaged about 67 points per game, which is arguably has to be bottom four out of all 18 teams during that time. And they found some solution last Saturday night against your Saints, Julian, by moving Christian Petrarca forward and... It isn't the first time Melbourne have done it because before Petrarca, Petrarca became a permanent midfielder what during what 2020, he was basically having most of his stints at half forward. So again, they may have found some solution to that as well, but I think they're going to need a few more avenues as well along the way tomorrow night, Melbourne. And I think, we, of course, we've touched so many times on Brisbane's forward line potency and that was on full display last week. Jack Gunston was incredible. That was arguably the career best, well, I think it was career best hole anyway, six goals against West Coast. And so they got everything firing as they wanted to. And for some reason as well, I think, Julian, and it's strange enough, Brisbane's poor record at the MCG, right? I still remember one like night. Yeah, mm. when they beat Collingwood nine years ago, Collingwood weren't going all that well back in 2014. And you think the bigger ground would suit Brisbane, especially the Gabba? The Gabba is quite an expansive ground in terms Absolutely. of its dimensions. And think at the MCG would be for Brisbane. But, of course, they at least managed to rectify that issue in the semifinal clash. And I think they can do it again tomorrow night. There's just that feeling that if Melbourne can't kick more than 14, 15 goals, then it may well be a struggle for them. And 
I think there was another particular part of the Melbourne lineup that I was most surprised about, and them not bringing back James Harms. Yes, of course, Harms has fallen out of favour. Nathan and I touched upon a little bit last week. So I think that's a real interesting one, especially with Oliver still now being another month away with that hamstring. And it sort of leaves him a bit devoid of that extra hardness in the middle. And that's where I think Harms could have really supplied that other option. So, again, Melbourne's backline will be fine. It's just, again... The whole Ford Avenues is where I think they just may come unstuck, but I may be wrong. Look what happened last year in round 15 between the teams. I think the whole lead into that game was where the goal's going to come from for Melbourne, and they absolutely trounced Brisbane, right, Julian? So, again, it wouldn't write Melbourne off whatsoever. And, again, Oscar McInerney's been brilliant for Brisbane as well, and that duel between him and Gorn's going to be that's going to be an absolutely cracker between those two. They've had many great duels, and including, I think, early this season for Max did his MCL. I'm pretty sure it was in round two. So that's another one to really watch out for. And again, yeah, I just sort of to really round it all up with what Brisbane can do away from the Gabba. This is just only another test out of many going into the conclusion of this home and away season. I just believe they're more than capable of doing it. Really good analysis. I was at the Marvel game last week, Melbourne versus Saints, and I noticed um, the Saints looked like they had that game. Uh, they just kept kicking it to Stephen May and Lever, and the back line of Melbourne was fantastic, super strong. But a team that lowers their eyes like Brisbane and, and are able to execute by foot will cause some problems for the Ds. And Brisbane, they've won their last 11 out of 13 games, and Lockie Neal has led seven out of their eight uh, games with high disposals, with the highest disposals for Brisbane, that is. Melbourne looked very beatable without Oliver. I, I honestly am leaning towards Brisbane for this one, ignoring the ground record. I think if we just put it down to the better team and the informed team, it has to be Brisbane. We'll see how it plays out. I say that now. You just you know how strong Melbourne <laughs> are at the MCG and they can go bang, bang, bang with all the goals. But uh, for me, Brisbane look like the stronger team. We'll see how that plays out tomorrow. We're going to move over to Saturday, which is 1.45 p.m. at the MCG. It is Collingwood versus Fremantle Dockers. I think Collingwood would be, would be heavy favourites here. Yuri, do you want to read through the teams? There's quite a few changes here, actually. Yeah, so we'll start first with Collingwood, Collingwood's lineup changes, Julian. And Braden Maynard returns after missing the Dogs' clash with that shoulder injury. I think it was a bit of a shoulder stinger he copped. Still side bottom returns from that MCL sprain, which he suffered against mm. the Kangaroos in his 300th game back in round 11. And Dan McStay as well makes his return for the first time since Gather Round back in round five against your Saints from there's that finger injury, which he sustained. Right. Will Hoskin Elliott's out for the next three to four weeks with a hand injury. Darcy Cameron, as Craig McRae points out, only I think it was yesterday or today, mentioned that he didn't quite pull up with that back problem. Tom Mitchell's been managed and Trent Bianco, the sub, has been dropped. He was the sub for last Friday night's clash against the Dogs. As for Fremantle, Joel Hamling comes into the side. It's been quite a while since Hamling was in Fremantle's best 22. Corey Wagner, Sam Sturt and Bailey Banfield, predominantly mainly used as the Dockers' starting sub. Caleb Sarong, of course, failed to overturn his one-game suspension for the tackle on former teammate Adam Chera. Brennan Cox out with an ankle, which he was managing during the Carlton game. Mm. I, think that was a, I think there was a contest where he flew and he landed awkwardly on his ankle, Julian, and that's where the issue arose from. Hayden Young as well, that ankle. Michael Frederick soreness. He'd been fairly quiet the past month. And Carl Warner, who made his debut last week and been scintillating form as well for Peel Thunder before 
mm. getting his first game as a docker last Sunday. He's out with a calf injury. So the odds actually you mentioned too, Julian. I think Collingwood were about dollar ten and Fremantle seven dollars. So right. there's a, quite a disparity between the two teams. And Fremantle's last win was all the way back in round fifteen, two thousand six. So it goes a long way back. Absolutely. Is there anything that stands? I'll just say like, I'm surprised Brendan Cox didn't actually get subbed out that game or even if they activated their sub, I'm surprised he played out that game. He looks like he was standing on one leg for the whole match and they were down by so much to your blue boys. I can't believe he just didn't get taken off as a precaution, but now he's out. I, I noticed Hayden Young, yeah, battling a little niggle throughout the match, but um, I think that might just be a short-term injury. And Corey Wagner for fantasy coaches are looking forward to having him back. He's um a high-disposal um, winner from what we've seen in the past. So hopefully that can translate into some high disposals in the AFL. How does this game play out for you, Yuri? Is Fremantle any sort of chance or did Collingwood just breeze through? I don't see the Dockers much hope at all, Julian. And just the Collingwood machine, right? You have to be 110% switched on. You can't afford the tiniest lapses in concentration because they'll pounce upon it. And we've seen teams go through this lull for three, four, five minutes where they just get caught stagnant. And Collingwood will just push the ground up. They'll push their defensive zone press up extremely up high and it'll force teams to kick down the line. It'll force teams to go with the one too many handballs. And that's where it's not just the tackling pressure, but there's also element of perceived pressure, which comes through as well with Collingwood. And that's where, of course, the likes of Bobby Hill, Bo McCreary will pounce upon. They'll get out the back of their respective defender and hurt them on the turnover. And again, their kicking skills, man, do you, do you sort, of, sort of put in picture – there's something similar to the great Hawthorne side, mm. do you believe? Is mm, there something absolutely. identical? Absolutely. Oh, their ability to execute by foot is just phenomenal. Yeah, and that's the one thing that absolutely stands out above most drilling too. And, of course, there'll be that Brody Marchek for a second straight game with hamstring tightness. But mm. the avenues they've got all around, they're just – it's galore, to be honest. And even through midfield now, say Nick Dacos, his last handful or two, three matches – been playing more, some midfielder, and Taylor Adams at times can rotate through there, even though he's been playing predominantly as a half forward. So there's a whole plethora of options they have roaming through the middle as well. And Fremont without Sarong, it just makes the tasks the task that much more harder. And just again, the whole avenue of where Fremont can beat Collingwood, it just becomes much more difficult because I think Jai Amos, he's had an outstanding season thus far. But this is arguably, out of all the key defenders he's been matched up on, this is going to be the hardest test with Darcy Moore. He'll give you no latitude whatsoever. He'll roam off if the ball's, say, what, 30, 40 metres away from his direct opponent, which will be Amos, and intercept Mark and create those attacking half opportunities to either free up a handball to Isaac Quain or John Noble and allow them to go from there. So... Again, Longmuir, of course, being at Collingwood as an assistant for whatever, how many years, he'll have inside knowledge. But at the same time, it's easier to plan, but it's harder to execute on the field. Big task for those young Dockers. We move over to the 2.10pm game on Saturday at Heritage Bank Stadium. It is the Gold Coast Suns versus the St Kilda Saints. Gold Coast, obviously, with a new coach after the sacking of Stuart Dew. I'll just read out the teams. We've got Ben Long and Elijah Hollands back in for the Suns. Out goes Braden Fiorini. He's got a minute with Jai Farah a minute as well. And Lockie Weller goes out injured. For the Saints, in comes Bradley Hill after that knee injury. Josh Battle comes back after his injury. And in comes Jack Paris. 
for the first time this year. Fantastic to see him debuting after some okay form for the Sandringham Zebras. And out goes Billings already, just um, after coming straight back in the side. He goes out injured. Max King goes out injured, as we saw, um, injuring his shoulder against the Ds. So did Seb Ross, goes out injured with his hamstring, and Zane Cordy injured as well. They All, all three of them were out um, last week in the Ds game. Billings um, gets omitted. Oh, not, not omitted, sorry, gets injured this week as well. Yuri, a lot of Saints fans are nervous about this game, as we are with many games, but the Gold Coast Suns, they are tricky to beat at home. How does this one play out? I think it's just going to be extra vigour, I believe, with the Suns, Julian. And after what's transpired this week with Stuart Jew being shown the door after six years in charge and Stephen King taking over, I think the biggest part for me is where's the goals going to come from again for St Kilda, right? I think we spoke about it at length right in the very first episode a couple of months ago on how they somehow managed to navigate through the first nine rounds when Max King was on the sidelines rehabbing his off-season shoulder injury. And again, the same issue is going to flare up for whatever knows how long. And even though the Saints are highly optimistic that King will return sooner than later from that shoulder injury, which he what sustained in the first minute of the game in last Saturday night's loss to Melbourne. So that's going to be a real big part as well. Do they at times have to float Ron Marshall through the middle? Or do they have to somehow pull this spade and perhaps swing maybe? It may sound ludicrous, but do they have to put a Dougal Howard who's played Ford before a long mm. time ago at Port Adelaide to try and at least fill some of the void because that's going to be the issue. If you do take him away from his usual backline post, then it frees up Ben King. It frees up Jack Lacocious, who've basically combined for 60 goals between them, Levi Casbolt. Those three can seriously get on top when if that does arise. So that's my sort of worry on that particular part for the Saints as well. And as for the Suns, Lockie Well, of course, been out with that knee soreness too. I think just at times, they were brilliant last week for the first half against Port Adelaide, right? They were basically a goal ahead. And then they, for whatever reason, in patches during games, they just tend to go through a lull moment. And that lull moment tends to hurt them extremely badly. And that occurred during the third quarter. They allowed nine goals and Port Adelaide effectively killed the contest. So... It's strange enough to look at through the list, Rajul, and the back line is fine with Sam Collins and Charlie Ballard. Those two always hold up the end week in, week out. And the forward line, think there's something already there. And the midfield as well, you think there's already something there. But again, those inconsistencies just tend to plague them at the most inconvenient of times. And I think often at Metricon Stadium, as is formerly called, they tend to perform better there. And it's strange enough because away, even though they only have what a flight down to Melbourne where they play, I think I played St Kilda in round four, they play Carlton in round 14. It's only what, a two-hour flight, if I'm not mistaken. It's a very short flight and mm. not to be equipped for that preparation is a bit startling to say the least. And so I think just with, as I touched upon a couple of minutes ago, St Kilda's, very thin forward line as well. And no Jack Higgins as well for a second straight week. That makes it even more tougher for the Saints as well. And they haven't scored over three figures since that Gold Coast win back in round four as well, which, of course, the Saints completely basically dominated from, I think it was the second quarter onwards. So, again, I just believe after what's in, happened this well, the last handful of days as well, 24, 48 hours, 
that Gold Coast can at least replicate something which at least stacks up to what they've produced best this season. And, of course, saw Tuke Miller return as well and hardly showed any rust as well with 20 disposals, I think eight inside 50s and five score involvements. And so I just believe as well, some of their speed when they do get a lot of it on the ball is where St Kilda are most vulnerable because the Saints don't have the quickest midfield, as you very well know, Julian, too. Mm. They have a lot of workhorses, a lot of grunt in and inside midfield players, including skipper Jack Steele. But when it gets to the outer, I think that's where you get a bit worrisome about it. Spot on. And I think we saw that against Melbourne. We were definitely missing Brad Hill, someone to give that handball to and someone to get a bit of pace going. I think Sinclair in the midfield obviously tries to quicken up our slow midfield. It's fine. I just want to point out, I think on the podcast a few weeks ago, I mentioned how tall defenders just kill us. Every You can go through every Saints game this year. You can mention names like Moore, Sicily, Barris, Harris Andrews. They all murdered us. And I saw us versus Melbourne. Saw Stephen May paying 20. Uh, he was paying $1.91 to get 20 touches. And I told my friends, just jump on that straight away. He ends up with 27 touches, 12 marks. And this week, funnily enough, I look at Gold Coast intercept and defender, who is obviously Ballard. He's only got 15 touches about 50% of his games, but he's paying only $1.41 to get 15 touches. So so Sportsbet know that tall defenders are a kryptonite and they've caught on. So a player that only gets 15 touches 50% of the time should be valued around the $2 mark, but they put him at $1.41. So they have now caught on to the fact that Saints just love bombing it to intercepting defenders. So if you were thinking about placing the bet on him, you have missed your mark. Let's move on to the, I'm going to call this a danger game. I said it against um, Port when they played Essendon at the MCG and gee, they only just won that game. Uh, this is Carlton versus Port Adelaide at Marvel Stadium, 4.35pm on Saturday. She's through a lot of Port Adelaide outs here, so I'm just going to brush through them. Dixon, Horn, Francis, Rioli, Narkel, Burton, Sam Hayes and McKenzie all go out of the side for Port Adelaide. In comes Jackson Mead, Jace Burgoyne, Ollie Lord, Scott Lysett, Tom Jonas, and Dersma. And in for the Blues, who you know very well, Tom DeConing comes into the side. Lewis Young gets omitted, and Matthew Kennedy, with that knee injury, goes out injured. Yuri, as a Carlton fan, is this a danger game for Port? Is the streak coming to an end? And is the streak continuing for the Blues? Well, I think when you look in hindsight, Julian, the last three weeks, it's been a, well, a, Complete transformation. That's the best way to put it. And whether where was that early this season? Because I wrote a piece for Zero Hang a couple of months ago, just on the next well five six weeks of Carlton season from round eight to about round twelve, and how it may well potentially define their season. Of of course, they went all five, but I think there was that little bit of a readjustment to their game plan in round 13 against Essendon, which I think most Blues fans will say, no, it's probably just the same old, same old anyway. But there were slight glimpses of what they wanted to do. And I think, again, what we've seen is, as Voss pointed out, is a simplifying of the game plan where it makes it easier for the players to go through the process. And that's what has been generating the results. And the biggest part is the tackles, right? I wrote a piece only, I think, yesterday I put it up as well on my own Substack account. And I'd mentioned about the tackling, right? The tackling's been, it's been off the charts. It's almost as though mm-hmm. whether Mitch Robinson's fed them a ton of tackling doses or not, <laughs> because that guy was an absolutely battering ram with his tackles. He, I think 2011 was just one of those years where he just completely annihilated opponents as though they were just 12, 13 year olds in junior footy. But again, I think when you look at it as a whole, too, Julian, as well, and 
Port Adelaide, as you touched upon with the Essendon game, which they got over the line with Dan Houston's match-winning goal after the siren. I feel as though we saw in the first half last week against Gold Coast that they were just slightly off and the Suns were able to not fully pounce upon it, but at least pounce pounce enough on those little deficiencies of Port Adelaide. And I feel as though this is now the challenge for Carlton. Three weeks, they've done it in a row. And most people say, well, okay, first two against Gold Coast and Hawthorne, both sides are... You could say, well, Hawthorne's a bottom two team and Gold Coast are a bottom six team and Fremantle probably going to slide with a tougher draw to finish this rest of the home and away season. Now the big test, of course, is against Port Adelaide who thrive on pressure as well, who kill teams on the outside when they're just given significant latitude. And if Carlton can bring that heat, we'll see for the first 10, 15 minutes whether that switches on, whether they're applying. And Nathan, I spoke numerous times on this particular section, that if they lay 15 to 20 tackles per quarter, they'll give themselves every chance of winning. Because, again, tackling isn't based on skill, right? It's more an attitudinal thing. And I think that's where the whole shift has occurred. And I think where we saw before, team where Carlton was just chipping the ball sideways and absolutely going nowhere and, and fans losing their rocker because of it and seeing Charlie and Harry fly for the same mark every single time and not having that separation. Well, we've seen that game plan return to what was early last season as well, where either Harry or Charlie would float up as that high half forward going to half back line, given that toll marking option. Then all the high half forwards who were back there going running out, sprinting out, flat tack to create another option. And we're seeing that yet again too. So I think if they stick around with it long enough, then they're every chance of winning as well. And Port Adelaide too, well, the whole 13-game winning streak's just been an unbelievable ride thus far, hey, when I think well, after round three where Ken Hinckley was firmly in the hot seat at that stage as well and they – never really wavered from what they wanted to do as the team's overall game plan. They've sort of stuck through thick and thin about it. So I think as well, Port Adelaide, Carlton at Marvel, and the last time the sides met Julian as well, I just want to hark a little bit on it as well as back in 2016, where, of course, the Blues won, I think it was by three points that afternoon. And it was in Kate Simpson's 250th and Michael Jamison's 150th. So that was arguably one of the great Carlton wins over Port Adelaide too. So I saw... When I look at it as a whole too, I feel like the Blues are a chance. That's what I feel like. And I, I some people probably bag me for this, but again, we saw last week as well, how many people tipped Carlton right? I don't think too many did. So again, why not? And with what it's been for the last, what, nine seasons in the league where it's become supremely unpredictable and teams are basically, what, five rungs below a team that's in the top four producing upset wins, then I can't see why that situation couldn't occur come Saturday. You're right. If, for those who watch the Colton games, it's not just the teams they beat. I know we talked about Hawthorne, Gold Coast and Fremantle not being the most, I guess, the, the most quality opposition. But in terms of the manner of which Colton have won and the footy they've been playing and the tackling pressure that they've been bringing, that's why it's exciting. That's why they are every chance against Port Adelaide. You mentioning Kate Simpson just reminded me that we we do normally mention milestones uh, 
on the <laughs> podcast. And I, I did brush over the Collingwood game where Jordan DeGoey is actually playing his 150th. So we wish him well in that game. For the Blues, Jacob Wiederen is playing his 150th. So that should be interesting. This game, like the Essendon game, was just ringing something to me that says danger, danger for Port Adelaide. And honestly, this game has the potential to be one of the matches of the year if it is tight, is it, if it's a tight contest in the Colton midfield, you talk about the excitement of Chera, Cripps, Doherty, Walsh versus the excitement of Rosie, um, Butters and Wines. It should be a crack river game. So let's hope that it's an interesting one for all of us fans, us Blues fans and us neutral fans. Moving over to the Saturday night game. It feels like a lot of Saturday games. I love it when there's five games on a Saturday. We have Adelaide Crows versus the GWS Giants at Adelaide Oval. Adelaide needing to respond after a pretty disappointing game against Essendon last week. Jordan Butts and Shane McAdam come back into the side for the Crows. Harry Schoenberg is the sub. Jake Saligo and Ned McHenry get omitted. And for the Giants, Brent Daniels comes back into the side with Ryan Angwin. And Lachlan Keith goes out injured. Nick Haynes on suspension. And Xavier O'Halloran goes out injured as well. Two milestone games, both pretty big. Lockie Whitfield in his 200th game. And for the Crows playing at home, this is a pretty exciting one. Rory Sloan playing his 250th. Yuri, do the Crows come back after their loss against the Dons? I think they should, Julian, too. And just the big expanses of the Adelaide Oval, I think, as well. The raucous home crowd should get them over the line, too. And even though this is one thing I want to touch upon, the Giants have won the last two meetings against the Crows and pretty comprehensively as well. I think it was 59 points last season, 67 points the at, year at before. Oval so, too, right? Yeah, at Adelaide Oval. So they've had recent success there, GWS. And again, I think the biggest part is both teams thrive on speed on the ball. And that's where Adelaide kill teams. And we have spoken too many times on this show in first quarters where teams have just been blown off the park and have never fully recovered and got themselves back in the contest. So that's something to be aware for for the Giants, even though the midfield has just been humming along too. We've spoken about Stephen Cornelio numerous times. Josh Kelly, that's a big one too. He only had six touches, which by memory is an equal career low too. So we saw Finn McGuinness go on to him last week and just blanket him, which we hardly ever see from Kelly at all in any of his outstanding games. So I think... Ben Keyes is the other option too, which Adelaide love to throw upon as well to take the opposition's best midfielder or opposition's best damaging halfback. So I think that's another move that Adelaide can well implement and try and quell Kelly's influence on that behalf too. I think the other part as well for the Giants, Nick Haynes' suspension, that's a major loss as well. His intercept marking is so instrumental for the Giants quelling those opposition attacking foray. So he's a major loss on that part as well. And I think Adelaide will look to really seize upon that too. And I think the other section as well is with a small four quartet as well, well, not quartet, but trio, if you want to call it too, of Isaac Rankine and Joshua Shelley and even Luke Pedler. Even though Luke Pedler isn't small, he's more medium at, what, six foot. I think those matchups for the Giants as well, do they potentially switch and go for, shall I say, Connor Iden on Isaac Rankine? Do they go Lockie Ash on Isaac Rankine? Or do they, even vice versa, do they have either one of them on Josh Rochelle? Those are real match committee questions, I think, that the Giants under Adam Kingsley are going to have and probably is going to be a bit of tinkering, to say the least, as well. If one of Rochelle or Rankin does get on top early on. So that's something to really look out for, too, for the Giants because – those smalls at the Adelaide Oval have had such great success this season. I think the big pass well for Adelaide, Jordan Butts, of course, returning from that concussion as well because 
Jesse Hogan's had a solid season too. And I think Jake Riccardi's just started to find form as well this last month. So just getting another big key defender back for Adelaide will give them that real solid, solidify that back six already, which has already had a great season as a whole. So I think when you look at last Sunday too, Julian, and just I think I was watching the first half of that game and I think lethargic was the best term to describe the way Adelaide went about because from that Mason Redmond opening goal in the first, what, 40 seconds of the contest, they sort of were really smacked in the mouth and could never fully get themselves in the game, even though they went goal for goal during that first quarter and basically during, what, the first half of the second quarter. They could never fully establish momentum on their side, and that's where, of course, the likes of Zach Merritt and Darcy Parrish had a field day with basically, what, 37, 36 disposals respectively. So the Crows can't afford to have Cogs just roaming free, can't afford to have Kelly roaming free, can't afford to have Whitfield patrolling the back line and just using his creative smart. So those are a whole different areas as well I think Adelaide need to be aware of. And Toby Green is the other one too. So do they potentially throw Max Michael Annie, who's had a great first year, who's done a number of outstanding jobs on the opponent's best medium to small forwards because he's super versatile. So I think he's more than well equipped to get that role and trying to negate Toby Green's effective influence week in, week out. We talked about Josh Kelly only getting six touches. For those who want to take the risk, he's paying $1.60 to get 25 touches, which is not bad if you want to add that to your multi. Surely he bounces back even if they throw keys to him. He's had 25 touches in almost every one of his games, except for about two, two of them being against Hawthorne. And so there was one more where he had 24 against the Saints, but he went off injured. So last time against the Crows, he had 26 touches and he went off with a concussion in quarter four. So for those who want a bit of value to their multis, I would take the risk on Josh Kelly purely for the fact that I want to see him bounce back. Moving over to the next Saturday night game is Geelong versus Essendon. Gee, another cracker. <laughs> Geelong versus Essendon at GM HBA Stadium. Isaac Smith, Colin Jasney, and Jeremy Cameron, a big one, back into the side for Geelong. Out goes Radigalia managed. Mullen, Dempsey, and Zach Tui goes, goes out managed as well. And for the Dons, out goes Andrew Phillips and Dylan Shield with an injury, and in comes Nick Bryan. A couple milestone games. Zach Merritt, a big one, playing his 200th game. And Grind Myers, who's starting to show a lot of value for Geelong, is playing his 100th game. Yuri, how does this one play out? Yeah, I think as well, Julian, for Essendon, they somehow, like most teams who have had their pickles over the last 15, 16 years at the Cattery, is they've got to try and expand the ground, and that's the hardest part. And there's one notable player I mentioned in my notes as well earlier today, and that's Dick Martin. I think they get the ball off to Nick, allowing him to use his unrelenting, durable running capacity or game, then Eston will give themselves every hope. But the issue is, though, as well, just the way Geelong play there, it's just teams get suffocated into a certain spot of the ground where they can't access from. And that's where I think the whole issues arise. And it, it turns into a snowball effect in a way too. And I think that's going to be the issue of Essendon can't get on top of that particular aspect in terms of four territory in the game. They'll be playing a lot of catch-up. And the other part as well of Tom Hawkins, and he since 2007, his first year, he's just completely dined out on Essendon. 51 goals from 17 matches, including a career-high eight goals early this season. The sides 
meeting back in round seven, the MCG. I'm pretty sure Brandon Zerk Thatcher had the matchup on him. And we've seen, of course, Zerk Thatcher, he's arguably having a career best season as well. Did a reasonably good job as well on Taylor Walker last Sunday. And he's just come through as well as that real dependable number one key option as well. And I think it's going to be another great test for him too. And of course, Jordan Ridley as well. He was probable at this stage returning from that wall. The knee injury he suffered, I think it was a hyperextended knee actually during the Adelaide game. Of course, he's past fit as well for that contest. That's a real important one just for his intercept mark here alone too. I think Eston done a great job as well with some of those young midfielders that have been coming through. Ben Hobbs as well, he's, who really stepped up as well, and Darcy Parrish's absence as well, and Parrish missed that time through a calf injury. And, of course, we've seen Archie Perkins rotate through midfield and become super productive. So it's not really that one-man crew. I think that Eston depended so heavily on, on the Parrish and Merritt for at least two, three seasons, and they've built a young, exciting nucleus that they have those options which can match the opposition's best. And I think if they can at least do it to a lengthy degree against Geelong, then they will be right in the contest too. And I think, again, I think the biggest part as well with Geelong when everything's just clicking, which it always does at GMHBA Stadium, is that, again, the scoring-wise, they get over 100 points pretty much every single time there and teams normally fall to under 80 points and... I think, again, Eston, I think the last time they played at GMHBA Stadium well, back in 2021, I only registered, I think, 57 points. And I think the last one they had there was back in, like, 1990. So it's a long time, right, Julian, between drinks for the Bombers. So, again, losing Andrew Phillips due to, due to suspension, that's a major loss. Well, I think for his high bump on Adelaide Ruckman, Riley O'Brien, and Dylan Shaw, of course, being injured yet again. So... Yeah, lots going to be left on the shoulders of Nick Bryan as well up against Ray Stanley. But I felt as though if Andrew Phillips was playing, that probably would have been one advantage that the Bombers could have potentially have gotten over Geelong. But again, it sort of lays in that real even 50-50 field. And I think overall, they'll be in it right to their heels. But at the same time, I just feel as though the whole Geelong advantageous ground advantage. I think it's just ultimately going to prove too much. That's the Saturday games done and dusted. We move over to Sunday, only two games on Sunday. We're going to start with North Melbourne versus Hawthorne at Marvel Stadium at 1.10pm. I hope we see a fast attacking game from these two teams, probably two teams that are looking forward to next year, more so this year. So I hope they give it a go. Uh, of course, as we always mention, the Sunday teams include the interchange, the extended interchange, that is. So Curtis Taylor, Daniel Howe, George Wardlow, Jackson Archer, Josh Goda, and Liam Shields are in. Of course, not all those names will feature. Flynn Perez, Griffin Logue, and Jai Simp can go out with injuries. And for the Hawks, James Sicily obviously will be back. Lloyd Meek, Luke Bruce, Max Ramsden back into the side, and James Blank goes out injured. Yuri, what do you think we'll see with this game? Do you think it'll be a fast-paced, high-disposal game where they, they try new things, they try to take the game on? How does this one play out? Well, I hope to see it right, Julian, because North Melbourne have shown at various stages this season against Sydney, against Essendon, that when they're given a license to run and just be, I think, a little bit creative outside the box is when they're at their best with no sort of chains that are bound onto them. And I think that's the same as well for Hawthorne, who we saw 
in that great win over Brisbane too, I think, especially in the second half. And I think more for the Hawks is the handball game. They, the ratio between their kicks to handballs is, I think it's roughly about one-to-one anyway, 50-50. to 50. So I think when they are able to use their creative smarts through handballs, then that's when they're most effectively dangerous. And I think as well, we saw last week against, well, the last contest too, that they're at least given that latitude at the best of times, but just ultimately couldn't catalyze on it. So again, I think for North Melbourne as well too, we saw brief glimpses of it against Geelong. I think the second half as well, probably when Geelong switched off at the best of times that they could at least kick two, three goals on the trot, at least make it respectable enough. But again, it's just more for the Kangas just building those games in because, of course, we don't know exactly when Alistair Clarkson's going to return. There's been the whole speculation away whether he does return late this season or whether he just decides not to return to coaching for the remainder of the season and focus on 2024 because Brett Ratton's done a solid job as the interim coach since, what, round 10. So I think we look at that stage too. And I think the Hawthorne aspect too, we see Mitch Lewis as well. He's been great since, of course, he partially tore his ACL, I think, during the preseason as well. I think his first game was all the way back in round nine and or round seven, actually, and hasn't missed a beat too much at all. So, yeah, again, it's just more the team's just going out there, not really having too much emphasis on, oh, I've got to go to this particular spot of the ground. We've got to go to this side onto left outside wing of Marvel Stadium and try and force a ball up. It's just more, it's almost, I think, when you look at, I think with like under 12s, under 13s, under 15s, under 16s, football, Julian too, where I think coaches, where they frequently go to just play footy. And it's almost the same way where the players don't have to be put in a box on, well, we'll just eliminate all your strengths and we'll just go to this team system. But instead of doing that, just go to the players' strong points and just allow them to play as they would at their best. So, again, that's what I hope to see because I think the last handful of games between the teams at Docklands, Julian, haven't been that high scoring as well. And I think four years ago, which I think, yeah, the Kangaroos won that game by 22 points. That wasn't a real high scoring game. I think it was like 86 to 64 the, and apart from the other games, Hawthorne annihilated North Melbourne like 2015 and I think the Kangaroos won that game in 2014 under the roof. So it's been a mixture of results between the teams at Docklands, but I think for both set of supporters that if both teams can at least combine for 25 to 28 goals, then it's going to make for great viewing. Absolutely. I've just got a quick tip for those um, who are exploring the betting for this game. I, Harry Sheasel to get most disposals for this game would be very tempting. He only had 15 touches last week, and I know Hawthorne concede a lot of disposals, especially to people who play in the back line. And I'm pretty sure Sheasel will be in that back line, especially with Zeeble's spot in the side being under question. I think North have enough midfielders in this match to make Sheasel an option down back. And with Aaron Hall out of the side, Sheasel will probably take a lot of kickouts, and I know defenders rack up the, the ball against Hawks. So, yeah, if, if 
Sheets was priced around the five to six dollar mark for most disposals, which is possible with Day, Warpool, and Newcomb um, in the betting odds. I would probably take a punt at that. All right, moving on to the last game. It is West Coast versus Richmond at Optus Stadium, four forty p.m. West Coast Eagles in a world of pain at the moment, but in come Luke Edwards, Luke Shuey, Butrevsky, Seaton, and Shannon Hearn. Geez, those are some big ins. They'll be looking forward to having Shuey and Hearn back, even though they were back quite recently. And Xavier O'Neill goes out omitted. And for Richmond, obviously, Toby Nankervis, after that hit on Lloyd, goes out. Um, and in comes Hugo Ralph-Smith, Ivan Soldo, Judson Clark, Ryan Mansell, and Samson Ryan. Again, extended interchanges. Yuri, West Coast versus Richmond. You would say Richmond, but, I mean, this is footy where anything can happen. Thoughts, predictions, how does this one play out? Yeah, I think we saw last Saturday too, Julian, after the first quarter, out, West Coast went to that old traditional kick-mark style of game and tried to retain possession after Brisbane blew them out in the water. So... I think that's probably going to be the same mantra again, Definitely. I think, this Sunday as well, and try and quash Richmond's scoring avenues in a way because last year was just an absolutely, well, annihilation. Again, they won by 109 points all the way back in round seven. And I think we saw for, what, the first two and a half quarters there, round eight meeting, where West Coast were right in the game. And then there was that Dion Prestia surge. I think within four minutes and 44 seconds, he kicked a hat-trick of goals, which basically... That's right split the game wide open. I was actually researching that this morning. I I remember that at the top of my head, but I just had to jot it down just to make sure. So, yeah, he, he was one of their best. And, of course, Shea Bolton had a great game the last time Richmond played here at Optus against Fremont back in round 13 with his 35 touches. I think it had about, was it? I'm trying to remember. I think it was like 15 of those disposals came in the last quarter or something. And Tim Taranto had a great first half too, and he's going to be another prominent piece to in the Tigers midfield come Sunday afternoon. So I think the Ruck situation as well, they, of course, had to bring Ivan Soto back in. He's only played one game this season due to that foot problem. And Samson Ryan as well, who's, I think he's really come along in spades this season too. And at times he's basically had to play that second toe option up forward because of Tom Lynch's foot injury, which he suffered against the Western Bulldogs back, back in round four. So again, we've seen... The Tigers, and we saw last week as well when the rain came in and that bold and yellow black spirit came through against Sydney. I think we'll see the same three, same thing shine through yet again. And I think for Eagles fans, we hark upon it week in, week out is, yeah, just consistency. So they showed against your Saints two weeks ago and yep. they demonstrated those levels. Then I think that's all you can take as well. So they've got the cavalry back as well because, well, the injury list is just too long to count anyway. But Again, I think just with the way that Richmond, in terms of their finals hopes, and they've at least given a real boost in the arm as well after that win over Sydney. So I think win that, and again, anything's possible, right? We talk about it so much this season, right, from, what, round 14 onwards, you could say, round 13, that teams from 15th all the way up to, what, 7th or trying to jockey for those final two spots. And even now, I think when you look at six spot with your Saints as well, even the Bulldogs at times could be vulnerable too. So again, Richmond are riding the picture too. And if they are dead serious, as they have been over the last month, then I see them ultimately winning this game too. So, and I think also the big expanses with Optus as well, very contrasting to the MCG. And I think that's where Richmond really thrive under their best football. So, I think, of course, when they get that real, I think it's a real tack it on game style of real, basically move it on all cost footy and really 
generate that handball speed through the middle and through the high half forward line, then I think it's going to be just a little bit too much for West Coast to count. And I think the other part as well is Brady Hoff as well did an outstanding job on Charlie Cameron holding him goalless. I think I think during the game too, they'll look to probably have Shea Bolton matched up upon him as well during various stages. I've got an interesting one for uh, the betters again, and this is I'm trying to work out the best way to word this. So other than St Kilda, and this is based off my own analysis, Richmond concede the most players over 25 touches. So St Kilda average around four players from the opposition to get over 25 touches, and Richmond at second, which is 3.8 roughly. So in you know in betting terms, that means that you know three or so players from the opposition will get over 25 touches. Now for West Coast, Tim Kelly has got over 25 touches in every game except for one this year, so he's a shoe in to get 25 touches this week. But Richmond also, I think one, two, three, four in all their games except for two, they've had a player from the opposition get over 30 touches. And usually, center people who play in the center square do very well against Richmond. So Tim Kelly for 30 disposals at two dollars is my bet of the week. Take that punt. That brings us to the end of AFL Round 18 preview. Four minutes till the game starts. That is great timing on our behalf. We're going to about to watch a cracker: Bulldogs versus the Swans at the SCG. Yuri, before we wrap up, are there any final comments, thoughts, and any, I guess, any uh, plugs or any stations you want to um, let the listeners know about? Sorry, Yuri, uh, just going to mute there. <laughs> oh, sorry. There we go. <laughs> We've got <Yeah>. it back. <laughs> All good. Yeah, so basically I think, yeah, no, thank you for having me on as always too, Julian. It's great to preview the rounds alongside you, and I think, yeah, just to plug out as well, I think we're having another NBA show come Sunday. Not sure exactly what the topic's going to be, but it should be another immersing one, that's for sure. And just, yeah, can't wait for the round of footy to begin. And, yeah, just a heap to sort of digest in a way too. And, yeah, once again, looking forward. And thanks for having me on. Fantastic. Thank you for all your expert analysis. It's great listening to you um, go through all the games, the teams, and your predictions. For us, um, speaking of the NBA show hosted by Alexander J, he has his – own side hustle called B-Ball Bites, which is now um, has a brother called AFL Bites, which is on the Footy Live app. And we recap the AFL and well, we try to recap the AFL in under five minutes. Usually the episodes are about six to seven minutes. Um, so you can listen to that on Mondays or Tuesdays on the Footy Live app. Um, other than that, well, yeah, thank you everyone for joining us. We hope you enjoy the footy this weekend and hopefully our teams, the Blues, which is Yuri's team and the Saints, get up. Awesome. Thanks guys. See ya. Cheers guys.